You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we started uh, our lesson on Second Peter. And I listened to Gil's message the other day. Am I in the way? Am I good? And I listened to Keith's message a couple of weeks ago. And I, I texted those guys. And if you remember the old A-Team TV show, you remember that, A-Team? The, the tagline in that show was, I love it when a plan comes together. And I love it when God puts things together. During our Wednesday night classes, we talked about the reliability of the Bible. Last week, Gil talked about, do you really know Jesus? And you look at all the things that God seems to just dovetail together without anybody knowing what the other is doing. I love when that happens because you know God's involved in it. You know, it's easy to, to come and have a meeting and do a speech and God not being anywhere in it. But you are, man, you get excited when you know that God's working behind the scenes, putting all this together. It's a God thing. When you have three different preachers, not really comparing any notes, Sunday school teachers, Wednesday night classes, all kind of tying together. How can it not be God? So where do we pick up in Peter? Does Does it match what happened last week? may not sound like it, but I'm going to show you in a little bit how it does. So let's jump into chapter 2 of Peter. Now, remember the story, the backstory with Peter? This is his last book. He's getting ready to be martyred. He's writing to this young church he started or he founded, and he's encouraging them. He's trying to pour into them all the wisdom and knowledge he has with them being young believers, young in the faith, and he's trying to give them all that he can before his, his time is up. He wants them to be Just like parents, he wants them to be better than he is, more successful than he is, more spiritual than he is, and not to suffer maybe some of the grief that he's experienced and some of the mistakes he's made. And he knows he has a limited window of opportunity to do that. And just like with our kids, there's a limited amount of time that we have with them to pour stuff into them before they start pouring it back into us. His first chapter was encouraging to grow in the faith becoming more righteous, living right, serving God, loving God and others, and to trust God's word. Now, remember, these are pretty new believers. And if you remember back when you first became a Christian, what were, what were you like as a new Christian? I can only tell you what I was like. I wanted to listen and read everything. I listened to Christian TV. I listened to Christian musics. I was in my car a lot at that time. I would listen to preachers on the radio. 24-7, I was just saturating myself with all this Christian stuff. But there's a problem sometimes with that. Because you have to know that not everything out there in Christian land is good. And you have to be vigilant and discerning on who you listen to, what you read, what you watch. Peter knew that as new believers, they were hungry. And they were, they were excited. But he's warning them about what's going to happen to them. And now he writes chapter 2. After he tells them how God's word is true and excited about that, he goes, but there are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Right after he ends them by telling them to trust God's word, because it's written by the Holy Spirit, 
he says, hold on, but just like the Old Testament had false prophets in Israel, there's going to be false teachers in your day. People are going to come to your town. People are going to come to your church, to your life, who tell you what you may want to hear, but you need to be discerning in what you listen to. He's saying in their excitement, be discerning. And I think that applies as much, if not more, today than it did back then. I mean, there's people on TV and radio and, I mean, a gazillion books out there. If you walk into any secular bookstore, if you go to the, quote, religion section, you'll see Christian books right next to all kinds of heretical stuff, all in the same group. And if you're not careful, you could pick one of those out and start reading it. And he's telling them, slow down, be diligent in what you listen to. And as Christians, the Bible says that God has given us discernment and wisdom. We have to exercise that in what we listen to and what we read. Now, last week, Gil was basically saying, does your walk match your talk? Our old youth group used to have the logo was a mouth with feet. How many remember the old Rolling Stone logo? The mouth with the tongue and, well, ours was the same thing, but with feet. And the, basically, the, the, the quote from the youth group was, walk your talk. Now, if you listen to people who aren't true, your walk is going to walk you right away from God. You're going to start doing and acting the way that these false teachers are telling you to act and, and believe. Now, why will that happen? Well, verse 1 says, continues and says, They will secretly introduce heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. These are people who present themselves as Christians. They sound good up front. They, they get you listening. They hook you with things that are common. And then they start telling you things that may not be true, leading you away. When they get you listening, they slip in non-biblical things. Now, there are several phrases out there. Now, I'm sure all of you are very discerning, and you know that these aren't biblical, but a lot of people attribute these to the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. Sounds good. Not biblical. Here's, a, here's one, and if we're not careful, we, have to, we may say this. God wants you to be happy. Not biblical. If you work hard enough, you'll be successful. Good advice, but not biblical. Here's one. Just follow your heart. Yeah, follow your heart. What's the Bible say about your heart? Desperately wicked. How about money is the root of all evil? Close. But a lot of people use these phrases to, that sound good. They sound biblical, but they're not. And when you listen to people on the radio or TV or read books, and they quote Scripture, but then they throw things in like this that sound good, but aren't biblical, then you begin to doubt or you turn a little bit to the right or left of what you're reading. Once you're hooked into these particular people and their teaching, more often than not, their charisma, how they behave and act, 
they will eventually come to the logical end of their teaching, which is what? That Jesus really isn't who he said he was. He's a good man, he's a prophet, a good teacher, but they always stop short of saying that Jesus was in fact God. That part of verse 1 says, they will secretly introduce these heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. How many years ago there was a book out called I Kissed Dating Goodbye? How many saw that book? Now probably all of us were a little bit old for that book at the time, but it was basically written towards teenagers from a Christian perspective talking about purity before marriage. Good topic, right? I think my kids had it. They, you know, the youth group, they promoted it. Um, Josh Harris or Jonathan Harris, the guy who wrote it. Well, it just came out a week or so ago that he walked away from the faith, the guy who wrote this book. It was, it was front page on Fox News. It was on every little feed I saw. Jonathan Harris rejects Christianity. If you keep following him from this book and you keep listening to everything he said from then till now, what's going to happen? You're going to have the same conclusion that he did because you're only listening to what he said rather than comparing what he said to what God's Word says. I mean, remember Rob Bell. Rob Bell, mover and shaker in the Christian community, had a big church, Mars Hill Church. A lot of followers, a lot of blogs, a lot of the young people were really into him until he wrote a, a, a book about not believing in hell. And so you look up, you Google him now, He's a stand-up comic somewhere in L.A., amongst other things. There's always been, and there will always be, people who teach you things that aren't true. And Peter's warning them to be careful. Don't be led astray by those who teach. Why does he say that? Verse 2 says, Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. If you're one of those leaders or teachers and you're teaching false things or you're one of the followers that are listening to them, you will eventually bring God's word into question. You will hurt God's image. You will hurt God's word and it will be, as the Bible says, disrepute. It's one thing to have someone who doesn't believe challenge the faith. But when you have people and teachers and followers who espouse Christianity or tell you they're Christian and then fall away or then do something heretical, what happens? The world sees Christians who don't agree on biblical truth and instantly they jump on that. They will espouse those who actually walk away from the faith and say, look, it can't be true because so-and-so left. Christianity and God's word in general get a bad rap because of those who fall into the false teaching category. What happened when Swaggart and Baker fell? Every Christian in the world was now just like Swaggart and Baker. Every Christian was a liar. Every Christian was a scammer. Every Christian were crazy. Every church-going believer was lumped in the same category as them. And what happened? 
God's word is brought into disrepute. Verse 3 says, In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Now, the word exploit actually means to make merchandise of. What does it mean? They're going to sell themselves. They're going to sell stuff. Merchandise themselves to get people to follow them. Now, I don't watch a lot of TV preachers. Never really have. I used to use radio a lot. But every once in a while, I'll, I'll hear someone selling something. Piece of cloth, a little bit of sand, or something ridiculous like that. If you donate, we will send you a piece of this holy cloth. Makes me want to jump through the TV and choke that guy. Because they are making merchandise of the gospel. They are exploiting it. I like the, I like the New Living Translation says this. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. How many remember a guy named Peter Popoff? Peter Popoff used to have this, quote, prophetic ministry. You would come up for healing, and he would tell you what your ailment was. You know, God told me you have a bad back. Well, later they discovered when people came to his services, they would fill out a card. Name, what do you need prayer for? How many kids you have? All that kind of stuff. And there would be someone in the back in a headset reading to him these cards. So he would stand up and say, there's an Anna Bender here. She has four daughters, and she needs X. And and that's me. Well, someone's in the back reading him that information in his headset. What does that do to people who really want to know God? They think we're all scammers and liars. Ministries will give you exaggerated stories, false statistics, and false promises in order for us to send them money. They honor and promote themselves more than, they are, more than Christ because they want you to partner with who? Them. Partner with me. Partner with our ministry. Micah, in the Old Testament, rebuked Israel for doing exactly the same thing. Micah 3.11 says, You rulers govern for the bribes you can get. You priests teach God's laws only for a price. You prophets won't prophesy unless you're paid. Yet all of you claim you are depending on the Lord. Now, Peter, I finished reading a book called No More Christian Nice Guy. And the book talks about the difference between nice and being good. How being nice is not biblical, but being good is, because sometimes in the process of being good, you aren't necessarily nice as being good. So Peter here is being good. In verse 3, he says, But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction is on the way. For God did not even spare the angels when they sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy caves and darkness until the judgment day. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and his family of seven. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. Then God destroyed the whole world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into heaps of ashes and swept them off the face of the earth. He made them an example of what happens to ungodly people. 
Wow. Let's have an altar call at that point. God is going to wipe off the face of the earth people who are false teachers. Basically is what he's saying. Kind of harsh. Kind of rough. Think about the analogy for a moment. God calls us his children, right? Children mean small, young, impressionable children. And now you have people dragging your children away from you. I have an example at the end, but I might as well use it now. Imagine you have some guy in a dark van who comes to your street every week or every day, luring kids into his van and then driving away. Comes back the next day, does it again, drives away with kids, and he keeps doing that. What is your reaction as a parent to that guy in the van? I'm thinking you're not going to try to negotiate with him. You're not going to pray for him. Your reaction to him is going to be a visceral reaction. When God sees little children being drawn away, he is not nice. He is good. And he brings destruction upon those who do that. Sometimes we as Christians, we try to make sin not as bad as it really is. And maybe we make God not as mad as he really might be. And Peter's just reminding them that God does not take this lightly. In fact, he explains what he did before. And if you think God's going to take this sin lightly, you're mistaken because God in the past destroyed countries and civilizations and the world because of this. Now, this, how does this tie in with guilt? If we think we're okay with God simply because we said a prayer when we're five, we believe in Jesus in our minds, but there's no indication of a relationship anywhere. What's God say about that? Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these great things? Jesus replied, depart from me, I never knew you. However, Peter goes on to say, it's possible to have that strong relationship with Christ and not be influenced by all the sin and all the things that are around you. Because, you know, even today, how much wickedness do we see in our world today? It's just everywhere. But yet God allows us and says we are able to be in the world, but not of it. It's possible. Verse 7 and 8 says, but at the same time, God rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a good man who was sick of all the immorality and wickedness around him. Yes, he was a righteous man who was distressed by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. Lot was surrounded by wickedness, surrounded by evil, and yet he did not give in to it. What's that tell us? That tells us even if we're surrounded by evil and wickedness, we have the ability to not be affected by it. It may not be easy, but God says that he is able to give you something so you're able to stand against all of that. And it means no one can say, it's not my fault. No one can blame the false teacher for you falling. 
False teachers are going to be judged. The Bible says those who teach are judged harsher. But it does not let those who follow off the hook. How many understand that? If I appear and I'm teaching you false things, it is your obligation to make sure that I'm right. The Bible said in Acts, the Bereans were more noble because they actually checked up on Paul to make sure that he was preaching the truth. Paul. If they didn't trust him and they went to God's word, that means everybody needs to check up on who they listen to and who, they, who teaches them. We will not be free from guilt simply by blaming those who were teaching us. Lot could have said, Lord, there's so much around me. I, it all sounded right. You know, I believed it. It, would, it just sounded good, and I believed it. He did not get off the hook. He did not give in and say that or, or feel that or live that way. Verse 9 says, So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while punishing the wicked, right up to the day of judgment. That just means we can't ever say, the devil made me do it. Right? He, may, he will tempt you, he will push you, he will prod you, he will do everything he can, but he can't make you do anything. When you do it, it's because you choose to do it. And who you listen to is because you choose to listen to them. You can't blame the preacher, teacher, society, or even the devil. Because we will all be tempted. But none of us have to give in. If you know God's word and you want to follow God's word, God will see to it that you can. This verse tells us that Christ will return for his children to rescue them before judgment comes to the world. That's a pre-trib rapture thing. There's a lot of teaching out there. Now, when I say false teachers, I'm not saying things we agree to disagree on. A lot of good churches out there that preach mid-trib, post-trib, millennial, amillennial, you know, that's fine. If they believe in the deity of Christ, the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross, you know, the virgin birth, they believe the fundamental doctrines. We, we, we fellowship. It's when they deny who Christ is, they deny the Bible, they deny all these things. Then we have a problem. And that's what he's talking about here. Those are the ones we have to be careful of. I mean, I've, I read a lot of David Jeremiah books. In fact, we're going to teach one on Wednesday night coming up. He's not Pentecostal. And, but he's still a good teacher. Still an excellent teacher. So... Like what did we have to resist the trials and temptations of the world and not simply be believers in Jesus, but doers of what Jesus says? Verse 10 says, This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Now, he, he starts that sentence off by saying, This is especially true. Well, what's especially true? That judgment awaits the people who, what, follow their sinful desire or sinful nature and despise authority. Now, what's that? Well, since his last example was Sodom and Gomorrah, we can assume that it means the same thing that Sodom and Gomorrah experienced, which was homosexuality. And what's happening, he's saying, people who follow that corrupt desire, those are the ones... God's going to judge as well. And it says, 
they despise authority. And authority here means anything that has the power to restrain evil. In other words, they hate people telling them what to do. And how many of us see that today? Nobody wants to be under anybody's rule. Nobody wants to obey the law. Everyone wants to do, as the Bible says, what was right in their own eyes without anyone or society telling them and it's wrong. He says, judgment's coming, and it's especially true that judgment's coming on this particular thing, not because of the sin, but because they despise the authority that God's word says and society's authority as well. False teachers, preachers, and churches are growing in popularity simply because they are giving in to the culture around them. They want to attract people. They want to seem nice, and they want to appear to be all-inclusive. And so they are slipping away and becoming false teachers. I'm going to close with a, a quote I found on a church's website. This is a church. Christian church, calls itself a Christian church, calls itself a Jesus-loving church. This is on their website. We are not fundamentalists. We don't believe the Bible is the inerrant or infallible word of God. We don't agree that creationism should replace the science of evolution in public schools. We don't believe that God hates gays. God doesn't hate gays, by the way. See, but that's what they think. We don't believe that people of other faiths are going to hell unless they convert to Christianity. We don't deny the right of women to choose what happens to their bodies. The Christian faith is our way of being faithful to God, but it is not the only way. Christianity is the truth for us, but it is not the only truth. That's a church. No, they call themselves a church, but it's not church because by the definition of church, it's a church that preaches the true gospel of Christ. They're a social club. They call themselves a church, but they're a social club. But what's happening is they're drawing people in. Maybe someone's interested in things of God, and they go and they hear this stuff, and what happens? They get sucked away from God. Is there any doubt as to why Peter is so harsh in telling them that the judgment to come it's coming. If you're luring people, if you're teaching this false stuff and you're calling yourself a Christian, man, I'm going to stand back from you because judgment's coming. And as believers, we need to be diligent and vigilant in both teaching the truth and what we listen to, what we hear, what we follow, who we listen to, who we follow. Being able to separate the wheat from the chaff. When we read God's word, when we hear people preaching or teaching, are we discerning enough to hear truth and hear falsehood? You know, that church's website, that's, you know, you know not a whole lot of discernment needed there. They tell you what they, they believe. But suppose that wasn't there. And suppose they didn't say that publicly. If you would go, are you discerning enough to hear when they teach that they don't believe this stuff? Maybe they'll slip in something about Jesus not being God. 
Or maybe they'll try to explain away some scripture out of context. Do we know God's word enough to determine, hey, whoa, that's wrong. And be able to define it and back it up for yourself. You know, there's a reason that I'm so adamant about people knowing God's word. Because we need to know it. Because there's so many people out there that are willing to lead you astray. And you need to be sure of what you believe. And not only to defeat them in discussion, but to secure yourself. Suppose you have someone coming to you that, man, they, they sound very eloquent. They preach great. They have, they have great oratory skills. And they start telling you something that might not be true. Are you discerning enough to pick it up? Or do you leave doubting what you believe because someone said something different? Oh, man, that guy, he preaches really great, and he said this. Maybe I'm wrong. You need to be secure in your own understanding and knowledge of God's Word so that when you hear something like that, you are not fooled into thinking that the Bible's wrong or that your understanding of the Bible's wrong. You need to know God's Word for yourself. Would you stand as we close in prayer? If you close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. I'm looking around. It looks like a, a home crowd this morning. But it's something you can never take for granted. You may come to church for many, many years and not really know Christ. You may come because it's something to do. Maybe someone just keeps bringing you and you just keep coming. So I can't assume that everyone who walks in these doors knows Jesus personally. So I'm going to ask this morning, if you're here and you've heard about this and you've been in church before, but you don't have a relationship, you haven't asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin, to accept his free gift of eternal life, the Bible says these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. If you're wondering what's going to happen to you after you die, if you're not sure, then this is the day to make that assurance. If you want to know Christ, you want to know his forgiveness, you want to know the peace and joy that comes from knowing him, I want you to raise your hand right now. All right, maybe you're here this morning and you've taken the, the duty of knowing God's Word lightly. That you read it occasionally, you study it maybe some, but you're not really doing what God calls you to do. So that you're, as Timothy said, know what you know so that you can stand before God and say, I've studied my best. As Judy said this morning, as Paul said, I have a clear conscience that I have studied God's word as much as I can, or I continue to study it. I'm doing my due diligence on God's word. I'm not going to ask for any hands. That's just a decision you have to make on your own. At beginning today, the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you to really read it, study it, and then apply it.
do the things you know it tells you to do. You know, sometimes we, we get caught up in what God wants me to do specifically, like God has a specific will for my life, and that's true. But I think God first wants you to do what you know to do. What's the Bible playing on? Do that stuff first. Evangelize, love other people, share the gospel, live right, go to church, serve others. Once you do that and get that down, then God reveals his will about something specific for you. But we have to do the easy stuff first. So Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the awesome blessing that we have, that we all have your word written in front of us. Many believers on this earth don't have that. Many believers in past have never had that. But God, we're thankful that you have blessed us so much that we, there's Bibles everywhere, commentaries everywhere, books everywhere that help us to know your word. And I pray that each one of us would take a concerted effort to know a little bit more about you through your word. Help us to be discerning as to who and what we listen to, what we watch, who we read. Help us to read things that encourage us. Help us to read things that direct us to the truth of your word, not that lead us astray, and give us the discernment to know the difference. Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person here. Allow us to leave full of your Holy Spirit, full of your excitement, full of the promise of God in our life, and allow us to be able to live that in front of other people. And then, Lord, as we pray for that, invite you one day that we would invite them here so that they have the opportunity to have the joy and the peace that we have. We know they need it. We know they'll enjoy it. We know that, God, their life will be transformed radically for the better. We know all that's going to happen. So help us to have the ability to encourage them to join us here and be a part of that. Bless us as we go. Let us see you working through our lives every day, we ask in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Have a great week. See you tonight for VBS. And then tomorrow night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night.